Futurist, a podcast with Guy Clapton. Hello, and thanks for downloading The Near Futurist, a show presented by me, Guy Clapperton. In this episode, we're going to look at cars, but first, as usual, a little bit about who you're listening to. I'm Guy Clapperton, a technology journalist with 30 years' experience. You might have heard me or seen me on the BBC occasionally, read some of my books, or seen me in The Guardian, Intelligence Sourcing Magazine, and elsewhere. I go to a lot of conferences and hear experts talking about their forecasts about decades to come. I'd rather use my 30 years' experience as a commentator to discuss what's likely to happen this year, early next, and the action we need to take now, so I came up with the Near Futurist name. Do have a look at my website at nearfuturist.co.uk, where you'll find more episodes and information on what we're about. If you'd like to book me as a speaker or MC for your technology event, do have a look at the showreel on site and drop me a line. Guy at nearfuturist.co.uk, that's nearfuturist as one word, or get in touch with my agent, whose details are of course on the site. If you like what you're hearing on this podcast, please do consider leaving a review on the iTunes store or wherever you download from. Oh, and welcome particularly if you're new to a show. A lot of people have been downloading lately. That's more than enough about me. My guest today is a specialist in EV technology, that's electronic vehicle to his friends. He is Director of Commercial and Industrial at Eaton, and he's been involved in projects with Nissan on its batteries and Amsterdam Arena. Electronic vehicles are starting to go mainstream, although by the looks of it, we're not there yet. So to find out a bit more about why and what needs to happen next, I'm pleased to welcome John Robb. John, hello. Guy, good morning. Hi, thanks very much for making the time. Can we start perhaps a bit about Eaton and your position in it? Yeah, sure. Thank you. So firstly, thanks for the opportunity to talk to you today. Eaton is one of those brands that may not be so well known to the average person in the street, yet many of our systems, products and components enable the the services and products that we rely on on a day-to-day basis. We describe ourselves as a power management company, and that means managing electrical, mechanical or hydraulic power in various different forms. And you'll find us in a a number of different major industry sectors. So we supply many components that make the the big aircraft that we use fly. You find our products and components in vehicles. And particularly from my side, we look at all of the electrical systems that you will find in a range of industry sectors. For me specifically, that's commercial and industrial buildings. And it's about how do we deliver power and energy safely, efficiently and in a resilient manner to ensure the ongoing operation of the business. As you said, my role is as the the director for commercial industrial buildings. So anything to do around building operation is certainly of interest to me. And EVs, we see absolutely as a growing part of that interest for the future. Thanks very much. Now, when I was a child, <clears throat> not wishing to give my age away or anything, but an electronic vehicle was basically the one that uh, delivered your milk in the morning. Actually, when I was a child, that means there was someone who delivered your milk in the morning. There isn't any more, of course. Where are we now with market penetration? What's out there? I've, I've seen a few bits of infrastructure. How's it been going? I'm of an age where I remember that also. And in my part of the world, we still get our delivery of milk in the morning 
with an electric vehicle, which is quite interesting. That's just showing off, and we're, we're alienating the teenage market, so <laughs> let's talk about the, the, the overall, perhaps a bit less niche, shall we? So what's changed? And I think the, the technology behind the vehicles has changed enormously. So we can talk a lot about the sophistication of vehicles, but more fundamentally, it's about the, the efficiency and the capability of the battery systems and the drive systems in the vehicles. So battery technology has evolved massively since we were both youngsters and that's meant that we can see a much greater range of batteries or vehicles travelling on batteries but also the ability to regularly charge and discharge the batteries which is one of the key problems in the past that we kill batteries pretty quickly. New lithium-ion technology batteries, which we have in our mobile phones, are a lot more resilient to regular charging and discharging. So that's really been the key driver that's enabled the what we're seeing now is the early revolution in the growth of electric vehicles. That's right, because of course, you know, even uh, petrol-driven vehicles have a battery, and of course, the mobile phones, as you say, it used to be the case that the first thing to go on your phone, or indeed in your car, you would need after a few years to replace the battery. I, I'm <clears throat> rather naively, I suppose, it hadn't occurred to me that that's a massive, massive factor in uh, EVs, isn't it? So, are we saying that uh, the, the technologies in Bruce you don't need to replace them so often, or are they cheaper? What's uh, or less ecologically damaging to get rid of when they uh, when they power down? How's uh, what's what's evolved there? What's changed? So, I think all three. I think the the move to lithium ion certainly, and I don't want to get too much into the technical detail, but allows much regular charging and discharging of batteries on a, a daily basis, which with old type car batteries that you describe for starting the engine, which are lead-acid batteries, they're not very resilient to that. But more importantly, the range has increased significantly, so the charge density in the batteries is significantly higher than it was and continues to evolve year on year. And at the same time, a little bit like IT technology, we're also seeing costs reduce. So we're starting to see now, we've hit that tipping point, where in some use cases, so high high usage vehicles like fleet users, the total cost of ownership now of battery vehicles is already becoming competitive with traditional petrol or diesel vehicles. Now, of course, the fleet vehicles, it occurs to me, you've got to store them somewhere and you're responsible for commercial buildings. Correct. Uh, are you finding that uh, people are asking for more charging points in the car parks or is this something that you're pushing? Uh, because that's it's fundamental, isn't it? Obviously, you've got to have a charging point that's accessible. Absolutely, and this will be one of the key enablers to enable the predicted growth in electric vehicles. And just to to talk about a few figures for a moment, if I take the Mm. government's forecasts, they're forecasting by 2030 to have somewhere between 7 million and about 10 to 11 million vehicles on the road. Okay, that's a little way off in the future. The current forecast in in 2018 for pure battery electric vehicles is about 50,000 at the moment. So you can see the growth expectation is going to be absolutely significant. What we need then is the charging infrastructure in place to support that. And currently, I had a look at the latest figures only yesterday, we have around about 20,000 publicly available charging points in the UK at around about 7,000 different locations. It sounds a lot, but it's not. It's nowhere near enough. So what we need to see is the growth in publicly available charging infrastructure. That's critical 
Because again, depending on whose figures you believe, the figures I have are from National Power, which suggests that over 40% of households don't have access to off-street parking. Mm. Now, unless we want trailing leads running across our pavements, that means we have to put publicly available charging infrastructure in place. And certainly as we move into big cities like London, that proportion of people with no access to off-street parking is going to be significantly higher. I was talking to somebody at this at a conference a few months ago, and one of the issues that uh, some of the companies are looking at is uh, sort of multi-purposing lampposts. Uh, You may have no um, actual dedicated charging point, but if you've already got this big thing stuck up there and the only bit you really need to be useful is the light stuck up at the top, there is some infrastructure there. Is that something people are looking at? Absolutely it is. And if you go to some of the cities that may be a little bit further ahead than the UK, I I spend a lot of time in Amsterdam, we absolutely see that already, the provision of charging points at lampposts. It's something we expect to see growing further, but we expect to see charging points coming up in a a number of locations. And what we really have to think about is, where do people use their cars? Where do they leave their cars for periods of time other than outside of the house or on the driveway? So we will expect to see areas like supermarkets, out-of-town shopping, retail parks, businesses and buildings like that. We expect to see a growth in EV charging. Likewise, in places where people work, so office spaces, hospitals, libraries again we expect to see those charging points grow in line were uh, with where people want to use and and park their cars for a period of time now i'm mostly familiar with ev points in london i say familiar with i've seen them i don't have an electronic vehicle so it's just a casual observation what's it like in the regions or is there is there a typical picture or are there any spots where it's underprovided I think, as you'd expect, you will find the higher provision in the larger conurbations. So certainly London, Birmingham, Manchester, if we look at the big cities, Mm. you can see the the concentrations. There's actually uh, a website I visited called uh, ZapMap, which really shows the location of all publicly available points in the UK. Zap map. Yeah. Zap map. Excellent, thank you. Uh, that's worth uh, your listeners maybe having a look at if they're thank interested. You. And you can actually see the geographic distribution. They have a heat map. So certainly there are areas of the country that are currently underserviced. And that's going to, if that's not addressed, will slow down the uptake of electric vehicles in those areas. It looks as though the, you know, the government wants this uh, to grow, and we've covered the fact that they need to be more power points, charging stations or whatever we end up calling them. I just bet we won't end up calling them what we call them now because that's how these things end up evolving. What else needs to happen if this, this technology is going to grow? So I think, Guy, what we need is a coming together of regulation, economics and technology. So we're already starting to see a lot of regulation around the phase-out of non-electric vehicles, and we've, we've all seen the headline figures of 2040 as being the date where new vehicles have to be electric. Is that a realistic date, or is this um, highly uncharacteristically the government kicking it into the long grass? I think it could be sooner, and it's interesting to notice, uh, note that the Scottish government have set the date at 2032, mm. so eight years earlier. So having a, a much stronger ambition around a, uh, an electric mobility future. So we would like to see that move ha- faster. We actually believe the economics may drive that, and that's the, the second phase of it, that 
from the car manufacturer's point of view, they will be incurring significant costs running duplicate supply chains for traditional vehicles and then for their electric platform. So we envisage that they, as they have more models available and the economics starts changing so that electric vehicles become competitive with petrol and diesel in a total cost of ownership, we expect the the manufacturers to start driving that change as well through the economics. So it may be economics runs ahead of regulation here. And how about things like pull-through marketing and not so much regulations as the nudge theory, the fact that people might actually prefer to have something that's a bit more ecologically sound. I'm just thinking that diesel has just fallen off a cliff Absolutely. Uh, since it started getting really bad publicity. People, I mean, people bought it in good faith, of course, because it was thought to be the cleaner option. And now that we know more, the information's out there, I wouldn't want to be a dealer stuck with a load of diesel cars. Absolutely. And last year, I think we the figures I recall, we, we saw a fall of 9% in diesel vehicle sales and petrol grew around about 8%. Electric, I think, grew around about 4.5%. So I think we saw that shift. There's still a, a bias towards internal combustion engines. Are we including hybrid in that? Or? Yes, we yeah. are. Okay. Yes, okay. we are. But we're starting to see that, that take-up of electric vehicle. But you're absolutely right. I think there is always a leading cohort of people who are interested in in the ecological impact of this and electric vehicles there's a lot of questions asked about are they truly ecologically sound mm. are we shifting the the pollution from the the exhaust pipe to the power station that was of course going to be my next question okay. because of course uh, we are still consuming power and i don't think people should be kidding themselves that they're not, they're not doing anything by going electric you know in an environment where we're told don't charge your phone overnight because you'll be wasting resources. You can't say, uh, well, just charge the car, and you're not. You may not be wasting resources. There may be automatic cutouts. There can be all sorts of things like that. But there, what are, where can people find out about the actual ecology, the, the actual issues about what they're doing there? So I think the key point that we'd make here, Guy, is that by moving the, the, the charging into the, the main power system, what we can tap into is, and we, we use the term in Eaton and, and many company, and many businesses outside use the term, the, the energy revolution. And the, there's two elements of the energy revolution. One of them is what we're talking about today. Growth of electric vehicles will have a huge impact on how we deliver, use and consume energy in the future. But also what we're seeing is a significant growth in renewable energy. And we've seen figures regularly published in the news reports. I think there were a number of days last year where solar and wind were accounting for over 50% of the UK's generation in that day. And we're starting to see that mix increase, so that non-polluting mix. So by shifting the, the usage of power from the exhaust pipe to the power station, it's not actually the power station, it's the wind farm, it's the solar PV farm. So we're actually generating and using that energy in a much more clean and sustainable way. And then using that to power electric vehicles means that the whole end-to-end process is carbon-free. Okay, now I'd like to talk a bit about lifestyles and the length of journeys that some people travel. A friend of mine maybe a little extreme she has family in scotland so she goes she travels from south just south of london to scotland and she uses her car that sort of journey or my mother used to live in cornwall we used to uh, drive there from london that sort of journey with current battery technology is not sustainable 
it was put to me once that we actually need to start building in more brakes for charging. You know, the, the way people travel actually, you know, our attitude to travel needs to change almost to sort of what it was a hundred years ago or something where it would be a long journey to somewhere. So you'd have to build in brakes, maybe a stopover or something like that. Do you see that coming at all? Yes, but only in a small way. And I think, you know, if you're, we're talking about very long journeys, you would probably be on the range of a fuel tank of a, a vehicle anyway. Mm. So you would need to be stopping at some point in the journey to, to top up either with, with petrol or diesel. And I think with the advent of the, the super high power charging technology, you can stop at already at a highway service station and within 15 or 20 minutes probably get to around about 60-70% charge on your battery. So the slight change there, it's not just a case of stopping and topping up. It may be stopping, having a coffee, having a sandwich. Slightly more relaxed. It's slightly more relaxed. 20 minutes, half an hour later, jump back in the car and you're ready to go. So it's not going to be a radical change. And also in terms of the usage of the vehicles, what we're talking about there is the exception rather than the norm. We know 90% of vehicles, uh, or sorry, we know most vehicles spend 90% of their time parked up, not doing anything. Mm. We also know that most journeys tend to be of five miles or less. So this idea of range anxiety, whilst real, it's a psychological impact, I think is going to diminish as people become more and more accustomed to using the technology. I suppose in terms of economics, it's like an opportunity cost. doesn't mean you're going to activate the opportunity in the first place, but it was nice that you, know, you have that freedom. You also have the freedom not to, okay, I didn't come to this meeting by car, I came by train because it's easier and I wouldn't want to park around uh, Moorgate, for example, or pay congestion charge or whatever, but I had the option, so it doesn't mean I wanted to do it. How closely are you in touch with some of the infrastructure people? Because, of course, what you do is very important. But, you know, you've got to have these PowerPoints. I'll give you an example. I live relatively near Mitcham in South London, where some genius uh, has put uh, two charging points at a dip under a railway bridge. Now, my in-laws used to own a shop just near that dip, <laughs> and they spent many, many unhappy rainy days rushing out trying to block blockade so that people wouldn't drive their cars into this flooded dip. There are now two charging points there. I'm not suggesting you install charging points. I'm not suggesting you plan charging points. But who decides on these things and who do I report that to? Okay, that's interesting. So in terms of the, you you talk about the infrastructure, there's various levels of infrastructure. So the first issue is around getting power to the charging point and that's really the responsibility of the distribution system operator so they will they are the people that will deliver the uh, the power uh, around we have a real challenge there people ask me the question you know do is there enough energy in the system to supply all of these millions of electric vehicles that are going to run around and the answer is yes there is enough energy in the system it's probably not the right question though question should be is do we have enough power capacity and to just put that into context I came down to London on the train this morning came down in the rush hour period it was expensive and it was hard to find a seat if I'd come down two or three hours later it would have been half the price and I would have had my choice of seats on the train power networks are exactly the same there's plenty of capacity there the problem is everyone wants it at the same time Mm -hmm. so the challenge for the distribution system operators is how do they manage the usage of power to spread it 
more evenly over the 24-hour cycle. And that's the sort of work area where Eaton helps. We have a number of enabling technologies that allow the, the spread of that power through integration of solar PV, through use of static battery systems, which can store, store battery energy from solar to the point when it's used. And that takes pressure off the, the network. That doesn't directly answer your question in terms of who decides where the, the charger goes. That's going to be driven by, and again, come back to two points, regulation and economics. So firstly, new regulations are coming into place next year, which will require all new buildings and refurbishment of buildings to have a certain provision for electric vehicle charging points. And that's for residential and for commercial industrial buildings. It's a start, which means that people now have to plan for this. But really, what most of the charging infrastructure will be privately owned. So therefore, it becomes an economic decision. So those investors making the choice will be installing the technology where they believe they can get the best return on that, where they'll get the highest utilizations, where they believe they can charge a premium rate for supplying the electricity. So I think ultimately, the decision is quite diffuse. It will be taken by building owners and developers and investors in the system. But what we will see is because of the regulations, all buildings that are going to be constructed or refurbished in the future will have to have provision made. That's one thing we can expect to see changing over the next few years, Correct. I should imagine. Is there anything else we can expect to see developing? I, I, I would imagine improving battery technology just because you're bound to have people working on that the whole time. Absolutely. So so we actually don't manufacture batteries. Well, we, someone else will have something uh, Absolutely. Uh, others do. So we work yep. with uh, a number of battery manufacturers and there's a huge amount of work going on. There's actually a government funded research programme in the UK at the moment looking to to improve battery technology by, in terms of increasing charge density so you can go further for the same size battery and reducing costs. So I think absolutely we'll see improvements in battery technologies going forward. I think other things that we will see changes in, and again this is something Eaton are, are looking at, is what we're calling smart charging technology. And again, it goes back to the issue I've just described about it's not an energy problem, it's a power problem. Yeah. So if we can manage how people charge their vehicles. So if I come home at six o'clock in the evening from work and I'm not leaving until seven o'clock the next morning, I really don't need to be charging my car up between six and nine in the evening where you're into the peak demand period. As long as I've got adequate charge in the vehicle the next day by 6.37 in the morning. So that time of use charging is going to be critical. And that will depend on responding in the future, responding to signals from the energy companies to say we have plenty of energy capacity available. Now is a good time to charge and there may be some economic benefit in doing that. Or actually, no, we would rather you didn't charge now. But if you're going to, you're going to pay a premium price for it. And I suppose this is where things like artificial intelligence, big data, will start coming up with and analytics will start coming up with the solutions 
that are actually beyond us because our common sense says don't plug in until you get home. Whereas they might say actually if every fifth person does plug in before they get home, we just switch the chargers off or they don't know when ex exactly, exactly when they're charging as long as they're happy by the following or whatever is acceptable by that time. It'll be taken out of our hands perhaps and you know other bits of future technology will And this is what we see. I think you're absolutely right, Guy. Data will be key here. Managing the... Uh, the, the usage or the, the, uh, the charging of vehicles on the system we think will be a really key issue and we know one of the big distribution system operators UK Power Networks are running a study at the moment exactly into this how can they manage charging of vehicles in a smart way to avoid those power hotspots. Right. There is another area that we, we think we see developing quite nicely which mm -hmm. can be we see uh, becomes part of a solution. So, you know, we've talked about uncontrolled charging of vehicles could create power hotspots and yep. potential outages, but we believe in the future vehicles will become part of the solution as well. So if I go back to the point that most vehicles spend most of their time parked up, if they can be connected into the network and that power can be tapped into in a smart way, each vehicle on its own may be 40, 50 kilowatt hours, isn't very significant. But if we have a couple of million vehicles plugged into the network at any given time, not going anywhere, that energy stored in the batteries of the cars can be used to provide stabilization services to our network. And that's either just by boosting power, so what we call vehicle to building services. So if I have 50 vehicles plugged in to charges in my building, I might be able to use the energy in those cars to avoid power hotspots in the building, but also to provide what we call frequency response. And this is a situation where power operators are always trying to balance supply and demand. And if they get it wrong, it reflects in the frequency of the electricity that we send. So we're all used to a 50 hertz system. We've all heard about this. But if you get power imbalances, that frequency changes. The batteries on the system uh, plugged into a system can be used to balance that. So it provides a very convenient service for system operators who are prepared to pay for that service. So what we could see in the future is not only do you have the opportunity to choose your time of charging and reduce your costs, you may actually get some money back from your vehicle by having it plugged in and providing services to the um, to the power networks. I was going to say, balancing up the financial uh, costs and the financial balance of that is going to be an art form all in itself. And uh, that's before you even start talking to the poor core people who suddenly don't have people with the uh, needing their petrol to pay for. That's, that's exactly going to be many many changes on the way. Okay, I'm sure we could talk about this for ages, and I'm tempted to. I must admit, <laughs> but uh, um, in the interest of keeping the program to its usual length, I'd like to finish by asking you uh, where can listeners find out more about what uh, you and what Eden does. Okay, so uh, we'd be delighted if your listeners uh, came and had a look at what we do. We actually have a website dedicated to electric vehicles right. uh, or electric vehicle charging. It's called Eaton, that's E-A-T-O-N, eaton.com slash EV charging. And on there you'll find a, a number of interesting articles. We have a white paper, we have a research study into EV charging that we commissioned. And also uh, they can find links to our e-mobility website where we talk about our on-vehicle or in-vehicle technology. 
and also our static battery storage systems which we use to provide the type of services I've just described to, to power network operators. John Robb from Eaton, E-A-T-O-N. Thank you very much indeed for your time. Hi, thank you very much indeed. And many thanks to you for listening. That was the Near Futurist podcast with me, Guy Clapperton. I'll be back in two weeks' time as always. Don't forget to have a look at the website at nearfuturist.co.uk. See you in a fortnight. Thank you.